outing on Friday and Saturday if any of you would like to come. There's supposed to be a slide coming here to tell you about the details. If you want to get out your cell phone and take a picture of that really fast, so the barns um, are going to be like the meetup people on Friday night, and then I'll be the meetup person on Saturday night. So if you want to come, we're all just going to kind of hang out and watch this funny movie together and make some memories as Wellspring family. So there's that. Um, oh, also, the movie is only going to be in St. Joe for a week. I don't know why they're doing that, but... So Sarah had recommended, she put on the bottom, that's where you can like order your tickets. We want to order online so that we can guarantee our tickets. So um, next, I have the privilege of introducing my sweet friend, Kayla Uliger. She works at the Children's Division here um, in Buchanan and Andrew County. And I just absolutely love her and the perspective she brings. And um, she's been doing this for several years. How many? Seven, six, six years, yeah. Um, but my best thing about Kayla that I just want all of you to know is she's such a fighter and she ride or dies for these kids. And when I'm overwhelmed and feel like I'm frustrated with things that are happening um, in life or with the system, she goes out to lunch with me and says, here's the other perspective and here's how you're taking too much of this personally and all of this stuff. So she's just like a really awesome person to have and we're so excited that she's here to kind of share some things to open our eyes of what's going on um, right here in our county. So if you would help me give a great welcome to our friend Kayla Uliger. Good morning. I told her I don't need this thing, but I guess I do. Um, okay, so I, as said Kayla, I've worked at Children's Division for six years. I'm not a social worker yet. I'm 172 days away from being a social worker with my master's. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I can't actually call myself a social worker by the ethics standards, but I'm really close. Um, so I'm a caseworker. I've been a caseworker. I've been an investigator, and now I'm a supervisor. Um, so I have a pretty broad perspective of what goes on in Buchanan and Andrew County, which is the Fifth Circuit, which is where you all, um, I think you all reside. Most of you probably reside here. Maybe some of you travel. Um, and in that time, I've gotten to see a large perspective from the beginning of a case to the end of the case and then overseeing cases. Um, and Sam's right, I do have an incredible passion for this. I kind of stumbled upon it in my life and never meant to be here, never thought I was going to be here, but here I am and um, love it. And even when I'm drained and overwhelmed, um, Sam does that for me. Um, she'll tell you that I, would you say fight or would you say writer? Ride or die, um, to the point where Sam gets regular phone calls late at night from me going, from me going, hey, I really need a placement. Do you can you help me out tonight? It's like eleven o'clock, and she's like, no, leave me alone. And I'm like, yeah, but I need I need your help. Like I need your help now. So um, this is a um, incredible um, thing to be here with you guys. I'm incredibly blessed and honored. I was here. Uh, I'm already forgot her name. Who who did I lean over and told you that I was? I saw in the the foster parent in the video. From Thailand. Who got the, who got the kiddos from the Davises? The last time I was here, they were getting ready to go to pick to get their kiddos, and so I think that's been a minute since that happened. Um, yeah, so it's okay. Um, so currently in Buchanan County, we have about a hundred kids in foster care, which historically is about thirty to forty more than we've ever had in the last like year and a half. We've just been climbing, and kids are staying in longer, and they're not exiting. Um, foster care at the same rate they were before. We're getting more serious cases, and we're getting a lot, um, I don't know, it just heavier, more complicated things that make it more complicated for kids to go back. 
Um, and Bob had asked me to kind of share and share perspective on something. Um, there's kind of two games here, right? There's foster care and there's adoption. And while foster care may end up in adoption, and often it does, um, it's kind of a different game because foster care, our number one goal is reunification. We start out that game from like, hey, what do we have to do to get these kids back with their caregivers, whatever that looks like. And if we can't do it, what does the next permanency plan look like? And often that's adoption or guardianship with a, fa a family member. But I think it's kind of a forgotten note about foster care that we work really, really hard to try to fix whatever happened. And that's kind of on our side of things is trying to figure it out. Um, so of the 100 kids that we have in foster care, about 20 of them are in residential care, 25 of them, um, which is a pretty high number comparatively to the state. We're actually a lot higher. And those kids are kids that suffer from severe behaviors or have um, severe diagnoses or just are really hard to maintain in the home. They can be aggressive. Um, I don't know, use substance abuse, that kind of thing. And so because of that, because those kids are harder, they often end up having to go get residential treatment. So those kids excluded from my 100, those 20 to 25, we still have about 20 to 25 kids who are placed out of county, meaning they didn't get to stay in their community because we didn't have enough foster homes or open foster homes for them to stay here. Well, last time I was here, that number was about 45. So I will say I probably single-handedly Wellspring has brought that number down significantly over time. And I love the mission of this church that you guys have accomplished that. And from the outside in, you guys are so amazing. I don't, you probably all think you're just like doing your normal thing. But from the outside, um, you are a rare unicorn of the churches in town. Um, I hope you know that's a compliment when I say you're a unicorn. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're tooting sprinkles everywhere, so it's fine. Um, it's true. But I, but seriously, you guys have a heart for it, and I know that your church is set on this mission to be that, and it's apparent from the outside. It's, it's apparent from the systems, and it's apparent from the people who don't go here and from the people who even just touch you. It's very apparent that this cause... I'm here on Sunday, not at my regular church, um, talking to you guys because you have such a heart and mission to dedicate a whole day to this. So um, I have a little um, activity we're going to do in here in a second. Um, but I need some volunteers. Um, you will not be required to speak. I just need you to stand up here and hold a card, and I need 12 people. I will pick you out if you don't volunteer. 12. 12, please. Woohoo! Just come on up here. Whenever I get 12, I can make up more if I need to. I don't. Okay. Give me one second, please. will be the church. Okay, so I kind of want you to guys to gather in. Um, so this is Mike. Um, can everyone hear me without this thing? All right, this is Mike. Mike is a eight-year-old boy who was residing in town with a relative. Relative, where are you? Right here. Relative. And with his two siblings. 
Um, and something happened where Mike kind of got a little upset, and there was a big combative thing, and the relative, uh, I probably should have given you names, but anyway, she decides, I can't do this anymore. I haven't had support for very long, or for, for the entire time I've had these kids, um, I can't do this anymore. And she calls us and says, I need you to come pick these kids up. Okay, and that's probably going to be on like Friday at like 7.30 p.m., so just because that's how the things roll in my world. Okay, so Mike and his siblings come into foster care. So um, I talk to the relative and I say, hey, what, what's going on? Can you take the kids back if we gave you some support? Nope, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I really need you to figure it out another way. And it's just because I'm, I'm done and overburdened. The relative goes away. So everything that Mike and his siblings knew about that person has been lost from their circle, okay? Next, I place a phone call to the placement desk, and I say, hey, I need a foster parent who can take a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. Do you have any of those? Uh, no, sorry, we really don't. We'll look and we'll call you back. Six hours later, Mike and his siblings have been sitting in my office. It's 11 o'clock. We still don't have a placement. What am I going to do with these kids? This is usually when I call Sam and say, Sam, do you want to take three kids for me for tonight? And she says, I will work on something with you because I'm, I've got my hands full, too. So, come to find out, they don't have any available placements, but I do have two placements. So, Mike is going to go to um, my friend Amber on the other north side of the town, but his siblings, we don't have anybody that can take two kids, they're going to go to Platte City. And he's only going to get to see his siblings every other week because the drive is so constraining with school and everything else that he's only going to see his siblings twice, once every other two weeks. So, the siblings kind of go away from his circle of immediate people he gets to spend time with. <clears throat> So then I start investigating, where are mom and dad? Really, that's where, what, what's going to happen with mom and dad. Well, come to find out, mom's addicted to methamphetamines, and she's had a really hard time, um, and she just is, cannot get clean. She loves Mike, and she wants to do the best she can, which is why she placed Mike with the relative, but she just can't do it. And she, in fact, um, says, I can't be a part of this right now, so I'm, so I'm going to go away for a little while. We talk to Mike and say, hey, Mike, where's dad? I don't know who dad is. Okay, well, have you ever had anybody like that? Well, yeah, I had grandpa. Where's grandpa? Grandpa was my father figure. Man, we did everything together. I just love him. He's the most important person in my life. Okay, great. Where's grandpa? He died last year. <clears throat> so the foster parent calls me and says, look, I really love Mike, and he's super sweet, but we're having a hard time, and we have a lot on our hands. Can you try to find another placement? I will work on that. A week goes by, I still can't find anybody. Mike's having a hard time because everybody he knows has just walked out of his life, right? Everything's different. The foster parent says, I can't do it anymore. So I call back to my placement desk and say, hey, can you take, um, I have an eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old, how old did I say you are? You're eight and a half. Um, <laughs> he's going to be nine soon. Hey, can you take this? I need another placement for this kiddo. We don't have anything, but the nearest thing that we're going to have is in Kansas City, about 110 miles down south. Um, but that's the nearest thing I have. So I leave it for another five days. I'm calling everybody I know. I'm working everything I know as that case manager. I'm calling, 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 calling. Nobody can do it. We just don't have the constraint to do it. Okay. So I move Mike to Kansas City. What do you think goes with Mike when I move him to Kansas City? His friends go away. His teacher goes away. His school counselor goes away. His coach, the one person who was kind of coaching him, the one father, other father figure he had goes away. His child pediatrician, the only person he's seen every year consistently for his shots, that, that person goes away too. 
and his church goes away. Even though his foster family has a new church family, that's not the same people that he sees every week with the people he was with, right? So now Mike's left with his caseworker and his foster parents, the new foster parents. But the caseworker calls her supervisor and says, I'm so tired. I got 45 kids I'm running around finding placements for, and I can't do it anymore. Here's my resignation. She goes away too. All that remains is the foster parent, 110 miles away, who says, I'm going to stick with it, and I'm gonna, I've got Mike. But she doesn't have a whole lot of, they don't have a whole lot of support either. That's the end of that part, so that's foster parent and Mike. But this is a reality. I would love to tell you that this is one out of my 100 kids, but it's not. This is a reality of all of our kids' face. Coming into foster care is a major loss. Often it's necessary. Something terrible has happened, something bad. They were neglected or abused in some fashion, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with so much loss and so much grief. And everybody looks at Mike and says, Mike, why can't you just behave? Right? Mike, get it together. Mike is really struggling with some stuff, right? He's riding the struggle bus, and he don't know how to get off of it, and nobody else knows how to get him off of there either. So I paint that picture for you guys because I think it's forgotten how much loss comes with foster care. We, it's necessary. I I'm wholeheartedly in that game. I, I believe it. We have to keep kids safe. Safety is ultimately ultimate goal of everybody that works in this field. We want these kids to be safe. But it doesn't mean it doesn't come at a really big cost. So when we work really, really hard to prevent that from happening, this is why. Because we want kids to stay in their community. Even if, even if he had entered foster care, he would have lost the first six. But if he could have stayed in St. Joe, he would have kept the last seven. He would have kept so many people in his network that could at least know or be a familiar face day in and day out. So when I come and passionately speak, and I'm so happy about you guys being able to keep kids in this community, I mean it because it's a huge, huge, huge thing, even to stay at the same school. You can switch that out. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So I'm grateful um, for the work that you guys have done so far um, and everything that you kind of believe in this. And so I'm hoping that's inspiring you. Like, how can I get involved? Bob asked me to share some ways that you can kind of be in this, right? And the spectrum is really big on ways that you can be involved um, with foster care in Buchanan County or foster system, okay? So if you're just like, I need to know more and I want to, like, attend some meetings or I want to just know, I want to come and do some of that, I have ways that you can do that. Um, we have the care portal. Does everybody know what the care portal is? I hope so. If that's um, So the care portal, we just launched tier two, and in that capacity, you can come and supervise some visits. We know that's a really major thing between parent and child that helps reunification process is the more often they can see mom and dad or mom and dad can see kiddo, but we usually don't have enough people to help supervise those visits and make sure kids are safe, so that's a way you can get involved. Um, being a mentor to Mike and siblings or the older kids who have tend to lost, they've lost a lot of people. Um, that's another great way that you can get involved. And then fostering and, of course, adoption. So the spectrum is big. It's not for everybody to foster. It's not for everybody to adopt. Um, but there is a place, there's a puzzle piece where you fit into this gigantic puzzle for everybody. Um, and I'm just so grateful that you all are kind of willing and have open hearts to hear about that. Um, the last thing that I have to put a plug in for is on the back behind the, that, what do we call that? The sound booth, words. Um, I brought to, with me today the Heart Gallery. The Heart Gallery is a traveling display of kids that are free for adoption in the state of Missouri. So there's about 10 pictures, I think, about the, back there. One kiddo is from Clay County. Um, about eight of them 
eight pictures or sibling groups back there too are from Jackson County and there's one from St. Louis. So if that's something you're interested in or something you just want to learn more about, there's some pamphlets back there. I'm happy to speak to you about that. Um, and then I, it'll stay here, I think, for the month of November is what you guys asked. So um, it'll be here so we can get you more information. But thank you for your time and letting me share kind of some perspective of what we deal with. Hey, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. This is heavy stuff. Um, these are real lives, um, <clears throat> children that you created, um, that you love desperately. Um, and God, as you speak to your church this morning, Lord, um, you desire for us to hear you um, and to obey whatever that calling is in our life. And so I pray that we would come... Um, just willing, willing to hear what you have for us, willing to um, move forward on whatever path you have in store for each one of us here, God. Um, so we give you this time, pray that your word would speak loudly and clearly to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we are going to kind of continue on a little bit in our um, series on encounters with Jesus, and I hope you've noticed how unlikely some of the encounters have been that we've taken a look at. But Jesus had time and made time for some really unlikely characters, particularly people who would have been very uncomfortable for the disciples to be around. Jesus continually, back then and today, leads his followers into very um, disturbing and disorienting settings, wanting to kind of find out what does it look like for us to extend grace and truth uh, in places and around people that are very different than us, racially, ethnically, socioeconomically, uh, politically, etc. So <clears throat> that's just a little bit of a backdrop uh, if you haven't been here for a few weeks. But as we look at Mark chapter 10 today, um, we are going to notice, or I just want to bring it to your attention, that we are in Jesus' kind of last days of his earthly ministry. He is on his way to Jerusalem and the, the trials and the punishment that await him. Um, and so in the midst of that, Jesus was at the height of his popularity. As he kind of closes in on his last uh, you know, few weeks on this earth, I mean, he could not have been more popular among the, the Jewish kind of middle class and, and, and lower class. I mean, he had raised a man from the dead. He'd walked on water. He had miraculously fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, just to name a few of the things that people knew that he had done. And so momentum was building, and increasingly people were putting their hopes in, in, this, in this idea that Jesus was finally going to kind of change their circumstances in some way. And the disciples were surely thinking that political and, and possibly military um, victory and triumph were on the horizon, which for them would have meant positions of influence, at least they thought, in this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. And so it's important for us to understand kind of the backdrop of what's going on as Jesus and his troop is kind of moving towards Jerusalem from town to town. There's this high sense of expectation and anticipation about where this is all going to end as they draw close to Jerusalem. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13. It's page 920. 
It says this, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. The disciples rebuked the crowd, the parents, bringing their children. Why? Why do you think the disciples were rebuking them? Take some wild guesses, people. Yeah. They didn't want to bother him. What else? Kids are allowed. Okay, yeah. Jesus had better things to do, right? This is too important. He's too important. We've got too much writing here. We don't have time for this. So look at verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Indignant. That's not a word we use very much. It's a word that means angry, (laughs) annoyed. The King James Version, the translation there is that he was much displeased. In other words, he kind of gave them the dad stare. You know that stare you've gotten from dad before that's like, man, you knock it off now. (laughs) Or when we get home, you know what's going down, right? I I imagine that's what the dad stares like. I don't know how intimidating I am. But if we recall, as you, you guys have all read the Gospels, you've heard these stories, this is not the first time that the disciples kind of, kind of try to keep people away from Jesus, right? It was a common theme that as they would go through the crowd, they would kind of um, analyze, like, is this, are these people worthy of Jesus' time? Are they of value to the movement of what we're trying to do here? And so when the blind guy is crying out from the side of the road, they're like, shush, you know, keep it down over here, or the, or the leper, or... Um, you know, the bleeding woman or the Samaritan, whoever, it's like, you know, for one thing, if it's people they are going to kind of contaminate or give Jesus a bad uh, rap or appearance, it's like, no, we got to keep this away. And time and time again, Jesus would do just the opposite. He'd be like, who's that trying to get my attention? Who's over there? Who are you trying to keep from me? Hey, come on. I got time for you. What do you want me to do for you? And so Jesus is consistently drawing in the people that the disciples are trying to keep away and so this is what Jesus says. He's, he's indignant. He said to them, <clears throat> let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So he says, do not hinder them. Let the children come and do not hinder them. <clears throat> and when I read that, it made me wonder, what, what, what do we do or how do we hinder children from coming to Jesus? And it struck me that it's not so much um, probably about what we do to hinder children, right? It's not like we're standing out on the porch out there like karate chopping kids trying to come to church, right? Hindering them from coming to Jesus. But more likely, it's, it's what we don't do. And here's what I mean. As she just described the reality, and those are the kids that are just in foster care, but the reality, even the concentric circles out from that, is that there are hundreds and hundreds of kids in St. Joe who currently do not have a clear path to Jesus. And unless something changes in their life, they are never going to hear, never experience the love that God has for them because of 
the abuse, the neglect, um, possibly just the chaos or the indifference of the adults that are in, in caring for them currently. And that's the reality <clears throat> that Kayla was describing to us. It's the reality of her coworkers who are in the trenches dealing with this stuff day in and day out, drowning in it, quite honestly. So we have that truth. We have this, <clears throat> this truth that there are hundreds and hundreds of kids just in our community who do not have a clear path to Christ. Something is hindering them. Now, what's also true is that, as she mentioned, several people in our congregation in the last few years in particular have kind of stepped into that gap. And they have gone through the process of becoming foster or adoptive parents. Um, and then even in, in a circle around that, we've got this wraparound team that many of you are on, or maybe you're just a part of a small group that wraps around those families and says, hey, when you bring a kid in and you face those challenges, we're going to be in this with you. We're going to provide meals. We're going to babysit for you to get a break. We're going to just come over and just emotionally take care of you and just talk to you when you're going crazy or whatever it might be. So we have that circle of people, and some people have kind of entered into that ring of closeness. And then we have another ring of people in our community, many of you who are just teachers, counselors, coaches, investing in the trenches with kids and broken kids um, each and every day. And I want to truly thank you for that movement. Um, guys, to be honest, like she said, like Wellspring, um, and I say this with humility because I know it's a movement of the Holy Spirit and it's not anything that I've done or people here, but... The Holy Spirit has moved and people have stepped forward and been obedient and stepped into that. And, and people look to our church as, a, as an example of, of how to engage that. And when I have pastors or other people kind of ask me, well, how did you do that? How do you guys do that? Um, I wish I could say that there was like some secret sauce, you know, some video or song and dance that we did to make that happen. But the reality is, is that there's just some people in our congregation who have just been obedient to a very hard thing. And they've just said, okay, <laughs> um, I can't, like, talk myself out of it. Um, God is putting it on my heart, and I'm just going to step forward. And it has not been easy. It's been really messy. And I've had other, you know, I've told you this before, but I've had other pa pastors say, oh, we just, you know, I think people in my congregation just need to hear some success stories about, you know, it's always just all these hard stories. I'm like, well, I can tell you some stories I'm not sure they're going to be success stories, but I'll tell you stories. But really, that's just following Jesus, right? He doesn't promise us. In fact, he promises us that it will be difficult, that in this world there will be suffering. So we shouldn't be surprised when things are difficult, right? And so I do want to just tell you guys that there is much to celebrate here today. I am really proud of you guys. A lot of you guys really inspire me in a lot of ways. Um, your circumstances and the things that you guys have endured um, tell me a lot about love, teach me about love in ways that I probably don't even understand yet. But if I'm really honest, there are still a fair amount of folks in here, um, maybe you're newer to our congregation, um, who really aren't engaged in this um, yet. Not engaged in this biblical mandate to care for orphans and vulnerable children all around us. And whether you are intentionally doing it or not, which I'm sure most of you aren't, you may be acting as a hindrance to people, children, coming to Jesus. As you heard in the video earlier, and this is no surprise to those of you that are parents, children are disruptive, children are demanding, 
Um, now that's just biological children, right? You throw in kids who've had multiple and various traumas in their life, and things can get really dicey. Kids are hurting. It's a costly arena to enter into. Foster and adoptive kids, they, they take time, money, physical, emotional energy. I know Marissa ran around to seven or eight doctors and dentist appointments kind of trying to catch up for all the care that, that the kid that she has right now hasn't been getting. Um, it takes a lot of time. It's very demanding. There's a cost. But here's what I also know. The stated and God-given mission statement of Wellspring Community Church is what? What's that? Creating a new normal for the next generation, right? Yeah, you knew that. Right? Didn't have your program this week, right? Creating a new normal for the next generation. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. Not just for the children that grow up in this church. but all children who our members cross paths with in our various spheres of influence in our community. To be an engaged member of our church is to be investing in that mission. It is who we are. It's what we do. It's what sets us apart from maybe from other church communities. Not because we came up with the idea, but because Jesus commanded it. Pure and faultless religion is this, is to care for the widows and orphans in their distress. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how Jesus always got personal with people. Remember that conversation? And many of these encounters that, that Jesus had with folks, they, they loved kind of talking about ideas and thoughts and theology with Jesus, trying to keep, kind of keep it on the surface. But we talked about how Jesus doesn't play that game. That, that he doesn't do well with staying on the surface. He's not easily duped by the smoke screens that we want to put up. And eventually, usually sooner than we'd like, Jesus gets down to the heart. And he gets personal with us. And he asks us some very tough questions about our motives and our perspectives on life and how we're operating. So in the spirit of Jesus, uh, I'd like to get personal this morning I want to ask you <clears throat> this question. Is there any way, because of the attitudes, choices, or indifference we possess, that we are acting as a hindrance to children coming to Jesus? Either by what we're actively doing, or more likely, by what we're failing to do. Are we indifferent about the 140 million orphans in our world today? Are we indifferent about the roughly 400,000 children in foster care in the United States? Are we indifferent about the 100 kids in foster care and many more just broken and really messy, tough situations that need advocates, mentors, people to come alongside them and care for them? Now, I doubt that many of you are indifferent um, in theory, right? We're all probably disturbed by those numbers. But what we all need to ask ourselves is, what is that information translating into? 
Is it translating into action? Am I doing anything about the fact that I'm upset by those things? If I spent time with you, would I have any way of knowing if I watched your personal life that you were doing anything about that discomfort? In the midst of a very demanding and focused schedule, right, because we all have demanding and busy lives, at the height of his earthly popularity, Jesus took the time to draw those children in and to lay his hands on them and to pray for them and to remind them of how much they are loved and, and how just pleased he was with each one of them. And as I lay um, my six-year-old adopted child down uh, in bed at night and um, usually kind of at the, the end of my rope of just exhaustion, um, and he falls asleep, um, and I'm just laying there praying for him, I often think, like, if he was still in an orphanage in Ethiopia, would anybody be praying for him tonight? Would there be a, a father who was invested in his life and caring for him and painting this picture of, and praying for what his life could be? And you see, as, 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 as true as it is that our Heavenly Father does that for each one of us each and every night that we lay down, our Heavenly Father loves us, he, he, he prays for us, he's invested with us. He needs bodies to translate that love in a very practical and tangible way here on earth. Jesus is, is praying for those kids in orphanages, he's praying for the kids in foster care here, but he needs moms and dads, ambassadors, the church, to tangibly be that person who actually comes along that side, side that kid and touches them and says, hey, I'm... I'm here, I'm committed, I'm invested in your journey. Jesus created space and he made time. And as we've all said before, to be at Wellspring is to ask the question, how do I fit into this calling to care for the next generation? It's not a matter of if you do, it's, it's what are you going to do? What's my role gonna be? What's my next step? And... You know, as she mentioned, not all of you are, are equipped or in a place where you can bring a kid into your home. I will say this, we need more people to do that. I'll just be honest with you. It'd be nice if you could just be on the wraparound team or whatever. <laughs> we really need more people to step in. And I can guarantee you most of the people on that video, and including myself as an adoptive parent, didn't think we'd be doing this 5, 10, 15 years ago. So we need folks to step into that role. Indifference is not an option. And be sure of this. <clears throat> our calling to lay our life down for vulnerable children and families will always come in direct conflict with our desire for comfort. I'm going to say that again. Our calling to lay our life down for vulnerable children and families will always come in direct conflict with our desire for comfort. Believe me, daily I come to, to 
logheads with my selfish desire for my life to be easy as I'm wrestling my fourth child who's in kindergarten for crying out loud, right? I'm just tired. And part of it's my own fault because I delayed adopting even though God specifically told me to do it for like five years. So now I'm 49, right? So God's like, well, this is what you asked for, so this is what you're getting, right? But guys, I am right there with you all. <laughs> and I, but I know it's the right fight to be in. And so I'm asking you all this morning, really this whole point of Stand Sunday around the world is to ask, will you stand in the gap for these kids? I've often said, like, um, people, you know, I'm sure get tired of us talking about it here at Wellspring, but I feel like I'm kind of standing and speaking for the kids that can't speak for themselves. I, I'm asking you to step into the gap for them God, as their representative this morning. It's always interesting what God brings across my path on Sunday morning as I'm kind of reading his word and doing a devotional. And I, I was reading this devotional this morning, and I want to share just a small part with you. We talked about um, the story a couple weeks ago about the rich young ruler, and Jesus um, asked him to give away what was nearest and dearest to his heart, which he said, I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And we talked about how it's not always money that Jesus asks. Sometimes he asks us different things. And we talked about Abraham. Um, and Abraham, for him, the thing that Jesus asked him to lay down, or that God did, the father at the time, um, was his son Isaac, his only son, what was near and dear to his heart. And this is what the, the devotional writer said. It says, Abraham did not choose what the sacrifice would be. Always guard against self-chosen service for God. And what he means by that is that um, always guard against, like, me dictating what the sacrifice is going to be. Hey, God, this is what I'm going to do for you. Not necessarily what you might be asking me to do. Self-sacrifice may be a disease that impairs your service. If God has made your cup sweet, drink it with grace, or even if he has made it bitter, drink it in communion with him. If the providential will of God means a hard and difficult time for you, go through it. But never decide the place of your own martyrdom, as if to say, I will only go to there, but no farther. God chose the test for Abraham, and Abraham neither delayed nor protested, but steadily obeyed. So I don't know what it is that God is asking you to do, but I would ask that you not delay, um, that you take in the next step forward. And at some point in my journey, as God continued to press and press and press and press adoption on me, I just surrendered myself to it. I just said, okay, God, every opportunity I get, I'm going to read whatever comes across my path about adoption. I'm going to pursue information. I'm going to you know, sign the application, send in the money. I'm going to take steps. And just watch you continue to provide if that's what you want me to do. And guess what? He will. He'll provide because it's his heart. Right? And as I've said before, he's obligated to step in and provide whatever is lacking in your faith in order for you to take the next step forward to love and care for these kids. He'll provide the time, the space, the money, the passion, the energy, the love, whatever it is that you need. Um... And I'm going to close. The band's going to come up and sing, and then Sarah's going to come back up at the end of our service. But would you guys pray with me?